Hi, and welcome to the Trailside Channel. We are so glad you're joining us. God has a place and a purpose for you, and we hope this message helps you find that and know how much He loves you. Thanks for stopping by and enjoy the message. Good. So my name is Sean. If you've not been with us before, welcome. I'm the lead pastor here at Trailside. I'm so excited you guys are here this morning. I'm going to pray real quick, and we will dive right in. So if you will, pray with me. Jesus, you are good. We thank you for all that you do. We pray that you would uh, utilize your word in this moment to impact our hearts, to remove anything in us that needs to be apart from us, and instead fill it with you and who you are and what you've done. Lord, we ask that you would um, be here present with us, that uh, conviction would not show itself as anger, and apathy would not show itself as justice. We love you. We thank you. And it's your name we pray. Amen. How are we doing this morning, guys? Good, good. Um, so I, I kind of been convicted of a thing the last couple of weeks as I've been praying and trying to have a little more fun and think through like what it is that we have uh, here at church. And I want to kind of share with you very quickly before we dive in. I think we as believers, if you are here and you follow Jesus, have done a bad job of having fun in church, right? Like this is just something I've been convicted of lately. So I don't, I'm not going to have you jump up and do jumping jacks or like shake hands or high five people because Nothing's more awkward than, like, forced friendship, you know? It's kind of weird. Um, but one thing that we're going to try to do over the next couple of weeks as we get into Thanksgiving, which is in two weeks, if you can believe that, um, we had one of, our, uh, one of our student minister was praying this morning before service, and he said, pray for the students who have three weeks left in their semester. And I was like, wow. Um, but as we get up to Christmas, you're going to see a lot more ridiculous kind of fun things. And it's not because... Uh, not really any reason other than we just want to have fun. I think that when we look at Scripture and we look at the Bible and we look at what is coming for us as believers, there's no reason we shouldn't have more fun than everybody else, right? I just, I'm so convinced and convicted of that. If we're not laughing and enjoying life a little bit more than people who don't know Jesus, I really wonder like what we've missed. Because we have these blessings and we have a God who consistently and continually gives and cares for us and loves us and impacts us and walks with us. And, and he has the greatest party for us. Like once this is over, that's, that's the good news, right? Is that when this is over, everything that everyone searches for on Friday and Saturday night pales in comparison to what God has already prepared for us. It says that, that we're going to have the, the best meats. So vegans, ha, biblical. Um, there's a vegan here that's very upset right now, and I want you to know your love. Um, the best wine, the best partying, Jesus is going to be there, which is better than anything. And I think we should just have more fun. We just don't do that enough. So I don't have anything cool. I'm not going like, to bring a motorcycle on stage or anything. I just really felt like we needed to share that this morning. I know, that's why I went there. I have no idea. Um, but I really felt strongly like we needed uh, to do that. Um, with that, I want to let you know, uh, if you know Joseph and Dana Fuller, if you played on our softball teams, we were playoffs, sorry, uh, they are a part of our church, they got married last night, they said hi and thank you for praying for them, I just heard from them this morning, they're off to, uh, I think Cancun or somewhere way nicer than where I am right now, um, a beach with things there, so uh, go ahead and turn to Exodus 12, if you uh, are unfamiliar with the Bible, it's very easy, it's Genesis Exodus, right there. Second book. Uh, we're going to be in the 12th chapter. Um, 
if you have our app, you can actually click Bible on the bottom, or notes on the bottom right. It's all right there as well. If you don't have our app, uh, I think we forgot to put it on the screen, didn't we? I don't think I told you to get that, so that's okay. We can get it for you. Um, super easy to find. So I'm going to read really quickly, uh, starting verse 33 through 41, and then we're going to have a little bit of fun this morning. This is what God's word says. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves." The time that people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years, and at the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. So to give a little bit of background here, uh, we're in this series called Eight Days. It's going to take us into Christmas, and we're talking about what it means to wait on God and on God's promises. Now, a lot of churches will get up, and you'll come, and they're so pumped about life. Like, God has the best promises for you. Like, you're going to have everything you need and everything you want. And they're super excited. And everyone's having the best time of their life. But we don't often talk about, like, what happened here when God said, hey, I'm going to take you to where you're supposed to be, but it's going to take 430 years. And, like, by the way, famine's going to come. You're going to be slaves. Like, bad things are going to happen. But I'm going to get you there eventually. And so we're, we're taking this, actually, this idea of eight days of this eight days of waiting, what it means to be waiting on God. Because sometimes you have to. And when I was reading this through, so what just happened to give you context is the 10th plague just happened. All the firstborn sons are dead. And Pharaoh and the Egyptians are done. They're like, get out of here. Leave us alone. If you stay here, more bad things will happen. We are going to die. And they kick him out. Like many of you parents have dreamed about your child's 18th birthday. Wow, you guys must be nice. I thought that'd be funnier. But, um, but they, they kicked them out, and they said, just go. You're released. Get out of here. And I, I started thinking about how that works and what it must have been like to be part of Israel in that day, part of the, the crew of people who have been waiting on God's promises forever, and to finally go, oh, finally we're out. We've made it. But then... They realize that they also have a, quite a journey ahead of them to get to the promised land. They go, oh. Have you ever gotten to a place where you're almost there and you're so close and you can just wait? You're like, okay, tomorrow I'm going to have this thing. It's going to be great. And I'm so excited. And then you wake up and someone calls you like, hey, i got to push it back a week. And you're like, oh, I was so ready. My body was ready. I, I think that's how it must have felt to be Israel in these moments. Like, you're so close, and so close, and so close, and so close, and delay, 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 delay happening. And as we're going to study, I think next week, you're going to say they're going to walk up to this huge body of rushing water called the Red Sea. And it's like, God, what are you doing? Why would you put this in our way? But what I've kind of, I guess, felt pressed on my heart or whatever you want to say throughout studying for this eight-day series and 
through Exodus was um, this idea of trust. There's an adage, trust is built, not what? Earned. All right, three of you knew that. Great. So the rest of you, trust is built, not earned. And, And it's the quickest thing you can lose, right? It's like your reputation. It takes a lifetime to build, and then you can lose it in one minute. Just like that, it can be gone. I'm a Browns fan, and we learned that Thursday night because one of our players tried to kill another player with a helmet. Guy was like, they're the Steelers. You got to do what you got to do. Um, just kidding. Joke. Joke. But I, honestly, like what I've kind of learned here is I almost partially disagree with that statement. And let me tell you why. I think when trust is broken, absolutely. Absolutely. It takes a lot to build it back up. There's no doubt there. But I think that we are naturally, as human beings, that we kind of dole trust out pretty openly with people when we meet them. Here's what I mean. Let me give you a little story. My daughter is, uh, she'll be five next month. She is fearless unless you turn the lights on, or turn the lights off, rather, when it's bedtime and she isn't ready, then she kind of freaks out. But she will just do anything. It's crazy. Like, she is so much braver than I am. And that, I say that as a grown adult man, and I realize what you now think of me, but um, but man, she is fearless, and um, it, it's a good thing for a daughter to be that. I actually kind of prayed that when we were having a second child, and said, you know, like I really wanted a daughter. I only have brothers; uh, they, they're both really mean. Um, just kidding, one of them is here. Uh, but I really want a daughter to take on dates and you know dress up in tutus. I wanted to watch my wife kind of experience that part of life and just kind of sit on the outside and enjoy it. But I also wanted to hear her to be fiercely independent. I know of all the fathers in here who have daughters, your biggest fear is probably of a daughter that's going to walk around scared and just attach herself to any guy who runs in the family, which is interesting. That's how I, I got my wife, but um, worked out. <laughs> um, no, but uh, I, I actually pray. I remember praying, like, God, make her fiercely girly and love skirts and want to go on dates with me and make her fiercely independent. And the Lord is really good, and he honored that. Um, but she has, however, in that fearlessness, scared the absolute dickens out of me. Um, whatever the dickens are, I have none. They're gone. Um, one day we're at the, the playground on Poinsett Park, you know, they got all these things you can climb on and jump on and things, because that's what kids like, and there's one that it kind of, it's about seven feet tall, and you kind of go up, and there's a fireman pole um, that pops off that, and she climbed up, and she's like, Daddy, come here. I'm like, all right, so I walked over to her, you know, like any good dad would do, and she says, watch this, and in that half second, you know when time slows down, right, and you kind of, you can see everything, and your brain does these incredible algorithms you never knew you could accomplish, um, so she says, she says, watch this, and I'm like, okay, well, there's a slide over here, there's another thing over here, she can run across that bridge, she can jump down the fireman pole, I'm, while I'm thinking this, I just see this kind of, like, pat, palette of color come and strike me in the face, Right, and next thing I know, I've got 35 pounds pulling at my head. Because in that moment, she decided her best bet was to slam into my eyeball with everything she had. Yeah. So I caught her. Doesn't mean (laughs) Um, caught her. And uh, some of you guys, if it's your first time, you're like, "Ah, this guy, I don't know what he's up with. But anyways, caught her kind of on my face. Pulled her down. I'm trying not to make sure my nose and mouth are still there, right? Because um, it gets in the way. I get it. It's a little big. Uh, and she is just giggling. 
like loving this best moment of her life. I'm kind of mad, right, because my whole face hurts, my neck hurts. I'm 36, so everything in my body is beginning to deteriorate. Um, I know. I, yeah, I know. Try being 40. I get it, yeah. Um, I can't go too high. Like, it's not, when you get like 70, we don't have any of those here. So, um, joke, it's a joke. So I grab her, and, and she's like giggling. I'm kind of mad for a second, and like my head hurts, and she's having the time of her life. And I was, I was like, what in the world? And I wanted to yell at her, and then I realized what happened was um, it, wasn't, it wasn't that she did something silly. It's that she trusted me with everything she had, that as she jumped seven feet in the air at my face, I was going to keep her safe and protect her. That was a really cool thing. Like, granted, my face hurt, but it was, it was a really, really cool moment because it was like, man, she jumped to me knowing I was a place of safety and that no matter what, I was going to sacrifice myself for her good to keep her upright. And that's the sermon for today. <laughs> and here's the crazy thing. I, I didn't even say go. She just knew I was there. She knew that was a, a leap she could take and that she was going to be safe. And, and that's, that's a lot of what I see in this moment in Exodus. It's a lot of what I see is that, that God says go, and he's waiting on the people just to jump. And so the question for us this morning as we dive in is, how, how do you act when God says go? Well, what does that look like for you? And, and guys, I'm just going to be straight with you. Maybe the Lord has been consistently saying go to you for a long time, and you just haven't, and you need somebody to throw you off the, the balcony a little bit. Because here's the deal. God is exactly who he says he is. Exactly. You, you can read this whole thing, and every single promise that God makes to you and to his people, he will not fail you on. And you can take it to the bank. And if you don't believe me, try it. Try it. See what happens. He, he doesn't know how to fail. It's not in his character to not catch you when you jump. And so as we're walking through this, uh, that's our, our heart this morning. So let me read verse 33 and 34, maybe 35, we'll see. This is what God's word says again. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. And the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for their clothing. Now, it's really interesting when you read that, because it doesn't take a lot of context clues to kind of understand what happens, right? It says in verse 34, very clearly, it says, God said, go. They waited. God did the plagues. Egyptians kicked them out. And they had to take their unleavened bread and their kneading bowls. They had to throw jackets around them, right, and then, and then leave. Now, on the front end, you're like, okay, yeah, they were hungry. Needed some tools. Let me ask you this. Has anyone ever run out of a fire or, like, a scary situation? Has anyone ever been asked that question? Like, hey, is your house? The first thing I got asked when we bought our house, genuinely, this is how you know your friends are still in college. Um, got a house, came over, like, hey, so if the house caught on fire or, like, exploded, what would be the first three things you grab? I'm like, I don't know. I'd like to make sure I'm still here. That's probably my first step, you know. It's a common question. But you don't think about it. In that panic, they literally took their bowls, wrapped their coats around them, and ran. And they had this bread that wasn't done cooking yet. And 
we read that, and we're like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But here's actually what we're missing, is that God told them he was going to take them out, and you know what they did? Nothing. You know why the bread wasn't leavened? Because they didn't care enough to prepare anything. Because God said go, and they're like, yeah, cool, I got, I got three days on this bread. Not quite ready yet. They weren't prepared. They weren't ready. But here's our first thing today that I want us to understand is that your need to be ready is not the qualifier of God's timing. God doesn't say, I'm going to do this when you are. He just says, I'm going to do this, obey. That's the difference. But let's be real. Hey, um, Church of America, how much of you guys like to be controlled? Anybody? Anybody have an authority problem out there? Thank you. We have two honest people here. Yeah. Listen, if you have said things like, I don't get why they are my boss, or I could do that better than them, or I work for idiots, come on, let's just get past the church thing. These are things people say, all right? Or some of you said, I'm going to be the boss so that other people can do what I want. Anyone out there? Bam. Yeah. Holler. Yeah, it's okay. Remember I talked about having fun? We can have fun, it's all right. God still loves you. You can say idiot. He won't cast you into the depths. Yeah. We don't like authority. Guys, we don't even like signing up for stuff because we might have something we want to do instead two or three weeks down the road. Like getting people to commit to something in two months' time, you're like, well, I don't know. I might get an ingrown toenail to it. Tuesday at 4 o'clock in December. I'm not quite sure I'm ready to sign up for that. It's crazy. But it it happened right here too. The the Egyptians were not ready. And here's the best part. They knew the end game. They knew what God's promises were. He was well aware God had promised for 430 years he was going to get them out of Egypt. They see the plagues. Moses has come and said, let my people go, let my people go, right? It was just like the movie. Some of us are still alive. All of these things are happening. The people know what's coming, and they're still not prepared because they knew that A was going to be, they were in Egypt, and Z was going to be the promised land, but they didn't care about B to Y. It didn't matter to them. They had no preparation made, none. See, I I think that's a problem with the church, honestly. We want the promised land. We just don't want steps B through Y. We know where we are. We know know where we want to be. But all the in-between is what doesn't matter to us. And we're just biding our time until someone else does it so we can just walk into the promised land with them. And it's crazy to me. It's it's crazy to me. They waited 430 years. The people who were blessed enough to be in Egypt at the time of these plagues and get kicked out, were riding the coattails of 430 years of their family before them. 430 years. How unfair do you think it was, or do you think the people who lived in that 430 years time would have felt to know that they did all of that while other people enjoyed the spoils? It's not the best, right? Like that's You get to heaven, and like your great-great-great-great-grandfather is waiting on you because he has a word, right? I want to say how when he was in Egypt, he had to walk uphill both ways to school, kind of stuff like that. 
but they, they don't care about the B to Y. It's just the A and Z that we care about. And that, that guys, that happens in churches today. It happens in this church. It happens in every church. We are willing to enjoy the end game, but we are not willing to plant the seeds and water it beforehand. And it's crazy to me. Crazy. But God is exactly who he says he is. So the first time, um, I, I don't know if anyone else sees me and like, man, he definitely is, is an extreme athlete. Um, but uh, I love to snowboard. Anyone like to snowboard or ski or anything out there? Yeah? Three of us, great. Um, I love snowboarding. Had a lot of fun in college. And I remember the first time I went, I was with my, my youth group. I was I had gone to church for like two months. My youth pastor was a really cool guy, and he was like, hey, do you want to come snowboarding? And I was like, absolutely. That sounds like fun. Uh, you know, I skateboarded twice um, earlier in life. And uh, I went there, and I had my buddy Paul. I, I don't know what Paul's doing nowadays, but I remember Paul and I were hanging out. He had never been. I had never been. This was a yearly trip for the student ministry, so they'd all been like, you know, four years ahead of time and multiple times before that. And we get on the mountain, and we, we make this great decision. Hey, you've never been. I've never been. Let's stick this out together, all right? Just a recipe for success. So we get our snowboard. We have our tools, right? We don't really know what we're doing, but we kind of, you know, ever like watch other people and observe to watch what they do, and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is how I do that. So you don't look really dumb. Anybody been there before? Yeah? So we have the tools. We're ready to go. We get out on the slope, and we see the lifts going, and I'm like, man, I've heard about those before. And... um. We're like, well, just us, let's get on the lift. So we somehow pop ourselves on this chairlift. We're going up. And uh, I looked at Paul, and I was like, hey, man, um, where, do, where does this get off? Like, do you know how to get off one of these? He goes, no, nah, we should probably watch people. And I was like, that's a great idea, yeah. We probably should watch people. So you see where this is going. So we go up the mountain, and I'm like, well, there's a get off right there. Weird. Go up, and like, okay, there's another one. Weird. Okay, that guy has his own snowboard, and he's now gotten off. That's weird. And we're, go and we're realizing we're going to the top of the mountain, to the Black Diamond. There's no one in the chair behind us. There's no one in the chair in front of us, like for three of them. And, but, you know, you turn around, you're going to fall out. That's, that was my fear. And we're coming up to this point where we have to get out of this chair, and we're thinking, this is where we die. Um, I've never kissed a woman. Um, no, but, uh, I mean, I have, but it's cool. It's whatever. Um, And man, I'll tell you what, we tumbled out of the ski lift, and luckily there was no one behind us, because no one was stupid. Um, and I remember, I remember getting the snowboard, and you know, you clip in one leg, and kind of like hobbling over, and I, I asked the attendant, I'm like, hey, so which way is down? And he goes, you're looking at it, and I remember looking down, and it was just like these chops all the way down, and it looked like it kind of did this, and my buddy Paul looked at me, and he was like, hey man, this is going to be rough on the front end. But if you look just past, like, the death part, it kind of does this. We'll be okay. And I'm like, great. This is how it ends for me. I was like, my younger brother already got hit by a car when he was eight. My older brother has done all kinds of stuff and broken things. This is how it ends for me, the safe one. But, but I, I decided in that moment, like, that I had to go all in because tumbling down and learning was going to be better than just ignoring. And so we did. We tumbled. And we fell but we fell together. And man, when we got back up, we went on the blues after that, but we were able to get down the mountain. 
And eventually, it got a little easier and a little easier, a little easier, and the next year we were able to go on blast, and it's a lot of fun. But I, I think the, re- the reason I tell that story is because when I read this about the Israelites, and I read this about the Exodus, and I, I consider what we do in our own lives and how we live, I, I think we do the same thing where we're expecting that, like, we got equipment, we got people around us, nobody knows what they're doing, and so we're expecting God's just going to kind of get us through all of it, but we're not ready to actually take that step. Because we look at it and we're like, wow, that looks kind of rough to traverse. Like, okay, there's no one else up here. It's just us. I got this board. I think I'm supposed to slide down it somehow. I don't know what to do. And the easier thing would be just to give up, to not do anything. But the crazy thing is we love hearing these God stories, right? Like we love going on the news and he, or not the news because it's terrible stuff on the news, but we, we love going and hearing these stories at church or in magazines of like how the Lord just really walked with these people and like wove this beautiful story together. We just did a series before this where we I told like six stories of just incredible faith that happened within the community of our church. Like we all want those stories, but we don't actually want to get to the point where we have to take action in order for that story to occur. It's a lot easier just to live safe, not have to worry about it. Not to have steps to take to trust God that he is exactly who he says he is. That he's going to do what he says he's going to do. Because what we've taught ourselves, church, is that it's easier to run from the fear of the unknown because it's easier to stay safe where we are in place. And I, I just, I, I don't think that's what we're supposed to do. In, in fact, as Israel leaves and goes out, and they walk around for a while. They're there just a couple of weeks, and they look at Moses, and they're like, you know what would have been better than actually being redeemed and freed from this? To just, to just die or to go back in slavery. Uh, it's better for us to be there. I'd rather not be in God's promises, and I'd rather just go back and eat bread and be in slavery. At least we get to eat. And I consistently think, I'm like, man, that, it, it seems so backwards, but that's because we know the end of the story. We know the beginning. We know every step. But if we're if we put ourselves in the place that Israel was in, where things were very unknown, I get why they probably sat and had unleavened bread and had to wrap their kneading bowls up with coats and run. I, I understand that because that's where I am so consistently. I'm in the same place because I'm able to look at life and go, man, I'm somewhere like in that EFG range and Z is going to be down the road, but I don't know if it's worth it. H3Y sounds mighty scary right now. And it's easier to run back into fear than it is to push forward. But church, uh, one thing I'm learning in this is that sometimes God will take you into a place of hardship in order to grow you. Um, Because that's how he teaches us trust. I know I use, like, father and daughter, father and son commentary a lot here, but I think that that's the way God sees us and speaks of us, so why do we not do that as well? And, and y'all, sometimes sometimes we are the little scared child in the corner of the room when the lights go off, and we need our, our, our father, we need our daddy. And other times, we're the totally relentless, fearless four-year-old who's ready to slam into their father's head by taking a leap that they have no idea of the consequence of, because we're scared. 
and we know that he catches us. <clears throat> but the only reason we know that is because he promises, because he says it, because he's shown himself it, because he has built trust with us consistently because he is unchanging. But church, we have to believe him. You have to, if you do not believe him, if you're not willing to take that step, I can do nothing for you. I'm glad you're here. Keep coming, keep serving, keep living, but I cannot make you trust God more. You have to take steps where he can show himself and prove himself to be trustworthy, and he will never fail you. In fact, those are the things he says to do, to trust him, to test him, to walk with him, to abide in him. <clears throat> Continue on, verse 37. Actually, we'll do 30, 35, 36, 37. Here we go. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. A quick note on that. That's not saying go steal stuff from your enemy, okay? You did not hear that at church today. Uh, that's actually just a promise that God made in Genesis 12. He said, listen, when you go abide in me, and when you leave, you will have everything that you need. That's what that means. Genesis 15, sorry, not 12. God says, I will bring judgment on the nation that you serve, and afterward you shall come out with great possessions. And this is the promise of that, where God promises providence. But number two is this. If, if you're waiting until you have enough in order to trust God's provision, you risk missing his blessing entirely. And, and even more than that, you, you risk missing the opportunity to learn what it means to discern his calling. Like, if I didn't speak to my children, they would not know my voice, right? Now, if you ask my wife, sometimes she thinks they still do not know her voice or mine because they apparently don't listen and don't hear her ever. Um, that's a parent joke. There we are. Or is all students like, I get that. I'm totally in school. Getting that. Verse, verse 39 says this, And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. So notice, as they're kicked out, and they grab this unleavened bread, they get to a point where they got to eat it. They're hungry. Right? They need provision. And it's interesting that Moses would write this part and note that. It's interesting that he would say earlier, hey, uh, they grabbed their unleavened bread and ran, and then a few verses later he's like, and then they actually ate it. Like, yes, that's what you do with bread. Why is that important? Because here's what, here's what happens is that... Um, Even the moments where you don't trust his plan and his provision, he will still give you what you need. Even if you're here and, and if you haven't trusted God with what you have, if you don't give, if you don't serve, if you are anxious like I have been about money because you think God maybe has forgotten you, what God shows you, what Moses shows you, what the people show us here is that even when we are not prepared, God still cares for you enough to take care of you, to give you what you need. And we miss that, guys. We miss that because we need to be in control. Because you've taught yourself that all you need is you. 
You don't need anybody else. That way, when people call you out or come to you and say, hey, maybe this shouldn't be this way, you can go, I don't need you. I just got to take care of number one. I'll be good. Because if we don't need anyone else, we can live very safely, very secure. But the truth of this moment is that even when they were not prepared, even when they didn't trust God, even when they did not listen, God still cared for their provision and cared for them so that in the middle of nowhere they had what they needed to eat. Right? Like they couldn't take a left turn after they get kicked out of Egypt and be like, well, let's go get a McGriddle real quick. Right? They weren't having the Popeye versus Chick-fil-A debate. They, they had nothing. They took their unleavened bread, they took the clothes on their back and their bowls to prepare it, and they left. That's all they had. I will remind you, they were slaves. They had nothing. And yet, here's God showing them that he has not forgotten their provision. Y'all, too often, we forget that God is the giver of our provision, and we think, I'm going to store up what I need, and when I feel safe, then I'll give, then I'll serve, then I'll care, then I'll trust. And that's not what God says at all. He says the opposite of that. Listen, Jesus talks about money. If you can't get over that, sorry. God consistently talks about provision and caring for him. If you can't get past that, I apologize. If you want the full gospel preached, the full gospel also includes you being smart with your time, your money, and how you spend it. Because God is the giver of your provision, not you. And so the reason that this is included is to show you that very thing, that when you have nothing, that God still cares for you and plans for you and gives you what you need and has it prepped for you later. And, and I don't care if that's not popular. It is. It is what it is. That's why Jesus says in, in Matthew 6, he says, where your treasure is, there your what? Heart will be also. It's a really fun verse, right? As long as it doesn't talk about our treasure and our heart. In fact, I'll say this, and if you never come back, that's fine. You're going to hopefully hear it somewhere else. But if you stay here, you're going to hear it enough. Um, if you've ever started a conversation off with, I like that church, but they talk about blah too much, that's the best way to know what your own idol and what your own heart is telling you. Like, if you're mad because you come here and we've talked about money before, you don't need to be mad at us. You need to figure out why you love money more than you love anything else. If you come here and you're like, you know, they talk about serving too much. They talk about loving lost people too much. Well, then you probably need to see where your heart is and check that and figure out why you are so scared of that thing. Sorry. That's not me. That's Jesus. Be mad at Jesus. That's an in-context statement, okay? This is not Sean's opinions based on Matthew. This is Jesus said this, and I studied it, and that's what he said. If this is where this is, this is where this is. There's no magic here, right? I'm not CNN or MSNBC or Fox News because I'm, you know, I don't want to, I want to keep it even here, right? I don't want to cause a fight. It's an election year coming. They're all evil. It's fine. No, it's a telltale sign of your greatest idol. And for Israel, their greatest idol was that they didn't trust God. They just wanted to be safe. But we know that God uses all for our good and his glory. And the last thing we'll say this morning is this. <clears throat> Let me read. Verse 
verse 40, the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. And at the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all people of Israel throughout their generations. It's the beginning of the Passover is what they call it. But the interesting thing is that after Passover, they're going to get to the Red Sea, and then you know what they do? It's where this whole sermon series title came from. Here's Here's what they do when they get to the Red Sea. They wait. They wait. Anybody know how long they wait for? There it is. Yes. Eight days. Eight days. So they come out of Egypt. The promise is partway fulfilled. They get to the sea and they wait eight days. Here's the problem with us. We hate that wait. You know why you never heard that? You know why it didn't convert through you on a... Converse, not the word I wanted to use, but, you know, communicate to you when you were in trail kids, wherever you were in trail kids at. Because we don't like to consider God as a God of waiting. We consider him a God of action, but sometimes God's action is his waiting. You're like, oh, yeah, God could come out of Egypt. We never talk about the death of the firstborn either. Like, that's a little too egregious for kids, right? You're like, and then everyone was very mad, and they kicked him out, and God pulled them out, and then they crossed the Red Sea, and then they won. And you're like, well, you're kind of missing some stories there. Now, they, they get out of Egypt. They finally are going to get to the Red Sea, and they're going to wait for eight days. Eight days. Eight. They're going to get through there, and then you know what they're going to do? They're going to wander for 40 years. And, and here's why, guys, and this is the last thing, last point this morning is this is that sometimes deliverance from the enemy is going to look like wandering for a bit. Let me tell you something. That's okay. The Lord sometimes is going to call you to take a step and then wait to give you the next step. And that's going to be okay. Sometimes you're going to feel like you're wandering a bit, and that's okay. Sometimes you're going to feel like the first step you take isn't necessarily the right one because you're wondering what you're supposed to do next. And all God wants of you is just to be obedient and to keep going. That's, and that's okay. Like our, our lives are not worship songs where we come in and it's like, God, you're the defender. God, you win. God, I win. Now I'm with you. There's this whole thing called life that that is spread across. And sometimes God wants us to be obedient and patient in the waiting. But it always comes from a first step. Trust sometimes means that you leave where you've been and you remain unsettled for a little while. And guys, that doesn't mean God loves you less. That doesn't mean that you're not a good Christian or you're not doing the right thing. It means that God has you waiting right now, and that is okay. Man, sometimes it doesn't look like Somebody coming in and dropping a $10,000 check in your mailbox because you prayed really hard for a couple of days that God would meet your financial needs. Sometimes it means you learning really tough what it means to trust his provision and then walk in it and then walk with someone else. And that might be a 10-year process. Sometimes it means you have to be unsettled so that you will finally give up control 
to yourself that you can do anything about it. Although Israel had gotten out of Egypt, although God had delivered them out of the Pharaoh's hand, they weren't ready yet for the inherited promised land. It's like when you see an 18-year-old who finally gets their trust fund and they're a millionaire all of a sudden. What's the next thing that follows? Really good financial decisions, right? Setting some aside for, for the rest of their family. Some planning goals for retirement. No. Like when I was 18, the first thing I would have done with a million dollars is gone and bought like a Dodge Viper and driven it to Cleveland and lived there for six months, done whatever I wanted to. I would be the prodigal son. That would be me. And my dad would have welcomed me back in. But sometimes, guys, we, we don't realize, we read this story and we compact it so closely because we have to understand that although Israel got out of Egypt, they had not yet immediately inherited the promised land. It was going to be another two generations for that. So church, my, my statement to you is this. If you expect everything now, you will be very disappointed. Or you can go ride the coattails of someone else's A to Z or B to Y, I guess. And look, you have that freedom, go. Or we can be patient, learn how to trust. We can, we can stop with the nonsense idea that because we're Christians, we follow Jesus, everything is perfect and planned out just as it should be all the time. Instead, maybe God just says go and you need to say yes. Hebrews 13 says, this is what the, the writer of Hebrews says, he himself, meaning God, has said, I will never leave nor forsake you. See, it's not in God's character or ability to do that to you. It's not. But sometimes we have to understand that God's promises aren't promises that are fulfilled quickly. Sometimes his promises are that he'll be with you in the waters as you walk as you approach the Red Sea, as your enemies pursue you, as you are scared, as you are trying to be obedient, and that sometimes it means he won't leave you alone in the midst of all that, so that when you go to inherit the promise you've been given, he'll be by your side the whole time. And you can jump off the dock. You can jump off the platform into his face, laughing, giggling, and excited that your father loves you. Jesus, you're good. You always are. Lord, I, I know I'm so, <coughs> so bad at trusting you consistently. God, I'm, I'm scared when money is tight, when there's bills here or at home even to be paid, and there's nothing there. I'm scared when you call us to big things and, and we are less than bold in pursuing it, pursuing people. And so I, I pray that whatever is the heart of, of all of us who are here in those same facets of life that need reckoning, that, that need removal, and that need you to step in and rebuild, Lord, I pray that we will be bold enough in the next few minutes to deal with that. God, that we would trust you in the way and, and that when you say go, we would go. That we 
wouldn't be scared anymore, that we wouldn't worry about what people will say or get in the way, but instead, Father, we would trust your provision, we trust your leadership, we trust your timelines, and that will lead us to a place where we are made right and made new and whole, knowing that you will not leave us or forsake us. God, help us to jump. Help us to fling ourselves into the arms of a loving Father, knowing that you will never ever drop us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you were encouraged by the message and you feel closer to Christ than you ever have before. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit us in person, or help support our mission as we seek to love Jesus, serve others, and live unified, check us out online at trailside.church, or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening, and we can't wait to see you again soon.